Hi, I'm Mario Evan, and you're listening to Talk Trot, a weekly inspired edutainment podcast discussing the things that most people are afraid to, but from a Jamaican perspective. From relationships, sex and sexuality, to the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, in this space we speak about almost anything with the intention to inspire, educate, entertain, and create a fair and balanced space where your truth shall become your power and set you free. Hi guys, welcome to episode number 27 of Talk Truth. This is your boy Mario Evan and I'm so happy to be back here on a Sunday. Today's own is going to be spicy, juicy, exciting, one bag of something. Let me tell you, I got to love it. I learned so much from it. Can I tell you? There are moments when I was silent and if you could see my face, all I was doing was thinking. Like, oh, you know those noises you make when you're thinking. Exactly. This episode is called Sex and Relationship Q&A with Dr. Karen Carpenter. She's a psychologist and clinical sexologist and I had the pleasure of sitting with her and just talking about a bunch of stuff that most of you guys submitted. So we really went in on a few interesting topics from erectile dysfunction to open relationships to sex toys, actually sex aids, so much more. Um, You just have to listen to this episode. But before I get into the episode, I really want to implore you guys to support the thing. And by supporting the thing, I mean, these numbers matter, can I tell you? You will be surprised. One day I'll talk to you about it. But I need you to download a podcasting app in the search of the app. You can look for Talk Truth with Mario Evan and click the subscribe button. Um, this can be in Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. There's so many. Wherever you listen to it, Google Podcasts, click that subscribe button and go over So wherever you listen to it and leave a review really matters, really, really, really matters. And share and tell tell everybody about this podcast. If there's an episode you love, share it with somebody who you think might like it. And you also share on social media by taking screenshots of the image and tagging us at talk.truthja on IG and at Mario Evan on IG as well. Our hashtag is talktruthja. Wow. Thanks again for all the support. Like the feedback has been so ridiculous. I'm going to stop talking right now. Let's jump into this absolutely amazing episode. All right, guys, welcome to this next episode of Talk Truth. And I'm here with someone who I very much admire because she's a super cool. I really don't know. I don't have nothing else to say, but you'll find out for yourself in a minute. Um, with me, I have Dr. Karen Carpenter, and I'm going to allow her to tell you who she is and what she does. Wow, that depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm my official title is clinical sexologist, right? Which means I diagnose and treat sexual dysfunction. I'm a psychologist, and I'm also a lecturer and acting head of the Institute for Gender and Development Studies at the University of the West Indies. Right. For people who do some people don't even know what that means, right? right. But but yeah. um what kind of stuff would you have to deal with on a day to day basis? All right, let's do privately and then academic. Okay, so as a clinical sexologist, if someone is having difficulties with their sex and relationship, 
because sexual difficulties often occur within a relationship. Right. So you can't avoid the relationship. Um, if they're having issues of erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, pain on intercourse, not having any desire for intercourse, not able to orgasm, um, difficulties sometimes, difficulties all the time, or difficulties since first sex. They may also have medical issues that create problems for them as it relates to sex. For instance, women who have early menopause, what we call medical menopause, right. because they've had a full hysterectomy or they've had um, an operation that stops their period before what would have been a sort of natural life experience. They go into a stage of early menopause and at 38 to be in early menopause with right. two kids and a husband and your sex drive is out the door because you're perspiring and because you're having hot flashes and all these things is quite troubling for a young couple. Absolutely. And so it takes a lot of work to get them back in the bedroom and happy. And then, of course, we have the people who have the and we have a large number of women with endometriosis in Jamaica which is blood um, leaving the womb and actually adhering, sticking to, to other different orga mm -hmm. organs in the body. Mm -hmm. And just the thought of that can make you understand that that's a painful thing. So even when women have had the necessary operation and they are in their recovery phase, they've had their six-week examination, sometimes the sex doesn't resume because they've associated sex with pain. Right. So right. although they no longer have the medical, physiological cause for the pain, their mental pain is still there. And they tend to reject the partner. And they experience what we call memory sites. So they remember what it was like to feel the pain. And they begin tensing up. Right. And the pain is still there. And you can imagine how frustrating that is for both the woman and the partner who has been waiting on that operation <laughs> for sex to resume. Right. Lots and lots and lots of things that people need to go through to, to, and of course we have the trauma. People who are recovering from trauma. Um, people who have been sexually molested, people who have been raped, people who have been forced, gender-based violence. We have those as well. So it's pretty extensive. Extremely extensive because sex is at the center of everything. Sex is at the sex center. Sex turns the world. I had a friend who said that music mm. is sex. But, well, and he was a musician, <laughs> but that was his interpretation that music is sex. Well, I don't think there's an era for lives that sex doesn't touch on. Right. Because, frankly, sex is what keeps us alive on the planet. Without it, we don't reproduce, we don't stay on the planet. Yeah. So it's a critical part of our lives. And it, therefore, is infused into music, into art, into language, into all the areas of our life. Right. How did you get here and why? Oh, dear. <laughs> I know that. Um, or, or I should say, why sexology? I'm, and then can paint a picture of some of what you need yeah. to study to get here. Oh, my goodness. You need to study a lot to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So that, well, any of the medical and paramedical professions, you have to keep studying. But um, I was teaching developmental psychology for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that was my specialization. So from birth to death, how the human body, mind and spirit changes. That's how I describe developmental psychology in very easy ways. So once you're doing developmental psychology, you're very aware that we begin as sexual beings and we end as sexual beings. But somewhere along the way, we become ashamed of being sexual beings. Right, right. And we begin to develop all sorts of psychoses. Um, as I was teaching 
developmental psych and I was teaching counseling courses at the university, students would come to me and tell me about their own trauma, sexual trauma. And in a space of less than one academic year, I had nine people come to me one year to tell me about their particular rape, coercion, abuse, etc. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not trained in this area. It's an area that clearly people feel that I can assist them with. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I enjoy doing. And it's, it's also research worthy because I was a research psychologist. I didn't want to sit in front of anybody and listen to their stories. Right. Give me my books. Give me my um, pointed head. Give me my numbers. Give me and look where you ended up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I always said, I just want to do research psychology. I want to be behind the scenes. I don't want to be talking to people. But yeah. So having um, experienced the degree of trauma that was out there um, with adults and having also been in early childhood at one point, which is what propelled me into developmental, I realized that where we start out as happy, whole human beings, very unconscious of our sexual differences, very unconscious of any shame around sex. Right. You know, as kids, they're just so happy. You show me yours, I show you mine. That's and curiosity, right? Yeah, yeah. and there's mm-hmm. nothing um, sleazy or creepy about it. And then we get to be adults who are absolutely afraid of our partners. And I needed to find out why, what changes. Right. As a researcher, I wanted to know what is it that changes between childhood and adulthood that makes us so scared of sex, hate it so much, say so many bad things about it and have such bad experiences. And I'm sure there's no one answer to that. That's a whole nother, that's no. a book, that's and a that, book and a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a study of sexology, what happens. That's super interesting. Yeah. Are there any other clinical sexologists in Jamaica right now? Um, there's at least one other clinical sexologist and um, she's in, she was actually my understudy. Okay. And I encouraged her to go and um, take the course. I was very happy that she went into the course. Um, I, I think there's room for her to be doing a lot more. And I think there's room for others to come up. If you have the patience right. to go through the continuous re-education every year. And that's where most people fall down. Because having received your certification, you can't just stop there. You must get your continuing medical education units every single year. And you must keep your professional practice up. Right, because I'm sure it changes. It changes rapidly, yeah? It changes rapidly and it's an area of discovery. There's a lot of discovery. So there's a need to attend conferences. You have to stay in touch with a professional community of scholars in the area and to read the research in the area. Because even things like, um, I want to say erection enhancing drugs because I like to use terms that people can understand right even pills like Viagra Levitra um Lewiken etc yes even those came out of other research so we need to as clinical sexologists be up on the details of the clinical trials of things like that does it work for women has been a big question and my instructor was on the clinical trials for women so the things that I had, one of my instructors was with Masters and Johnson's. She's Masters and, and Johnson's trained, and so am I. So just being in the environment of other people who are professionally trained right. makes a big difference. You have to keep up on the research. 
has becoming a clinical sexologist taken away from your previous psychology practice? And do you still have clients who come to you for the other things? Okay. Depression. So I didn't work in clinical psychology ah. prior to the sexology. Gotcha, gotcha. I was, as I say, a research psychologist. Developmental psychology was my interest. I wanted to know what changes in the human brain, body, spirit, soul, psychology as you go through life. And it, if, it, if it had not been for all the people who were coming to me right. with their problems about sex and sexuality, rape, violence, etc., I probably would Wouldn't not have, have ended up there. here. Yeah, you realize there was a need for it. There's yes, a demand there was clearly a need. There was clearly a demand. And it, it kind of selected me because then I spent the next seven years looking for an accredited program. Seven yeah. years. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I completed a doctorate while I was looking. And I was clear that I was not going to spend my money unless it was going to give me an international certification that I could hold up and say, yes, I'm proud of holding this. Right. So I did look at a number of courses that proved not to be solid. Yeah. And then found one that was Florida board certified. And having found that course, I investigated them, visited them, etc. And signed up there and then ended up teaching with them. Okay. So (laughs) and I've had a long association with the people I trained with. So the journey has really taken you through so many different Spaces, spaces. It's like um, like the developmental psychology. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my wonderful listeners, I have the honor of being in the presence of this woman who is very busy. So, you know, one, I'm grateful that, that, you know, she accommodated me. But you get the honor of us talking through some topics. So I have Mm -hmm. Karen in the hot seat and she does this all the time on the radio normally. (laughs) So this is not an uncomfortable or unfamiliar space for her. Um, So we're going to ask some questions that span relationships and sex. And I am going to look at some stuff people had sent in to me. And actually, I want to start with erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Um, Me as a doctor, actually, I have a few people who come to me and complain of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how this is how you'd categorize it this way. Mm -hmm. I have people who are diabetic. So Mm -hmm. that's a link to chronic illness. I have first time as having sex for the first time. Right. So that's anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then I have some who are middle-aged, like kind of around 40s. Yeah. And they don't have any illnesses, but they're picking up that things aren't like 21. Okay. Um, walk me through some of those phases <laughs> and like what could be happening. As you said, all right, so let's start with the young guy. You said... Yeah, and I was going to say, actually, most of the clients who have erectile dysfunction that I see are young. Mm-hmm. What do you call young? Under, uh, under? I would say in the ages sort of 24, 25, mm-hmm. up to 34, 35. Okay. Yeah, that's young. So that's my population for erectile dysfunction and for premature ejaculation. And it's very scary for a young man who thinks that every single time he wants to have sex, he's going to have an erection. And that erection is going to be a hard erection. And that right. erection is going to last and his partner is going to be satisfied because he has an erection. Right. So it's very scary for a young man, especially if he hasn't yet got married, you know, doesn't have anything else to blame it on. Like, oh, I'm exhausted by the kids, etc. <laughs> so, and he's wondering what's going on. Right. So the first thing we have to do is we have to determine, have you always had this problem? That's called generalized. Right. Has this problem only occurred in certain situations? Like, as you said, first time sex with someone. Right. Do you get so scared that it happens? So that's situational. Or 
Is it that you are fine with one partner, but with another partner, it's not working? Right, which may be an attraction thing. That would be partner specific. Mm -hmm. And it could even be that you're attracted to the partner, but there's resentment in the relationship. The penis hates resentment. Uh It cannot function in the face of resentment. You know this is true. (laughs) So when there is, when there are, or when there is resentment or there are unresolved issues, it can impact how we function sexually. Women know that if we're upset, we may not lubricate as well as if we're happy to be with a partner. Right. And although I warn men that wetness is not a sign of horniness. Right, right. It doesn't matter whether the woman is very wet or a little bit it's wet. It's a physiological response. It will happen. Ju- it will so happen. You, so you don't actually think women get more wet if they're more turned on? No, absolutely not. I think women who get wet more yeah. get wet more. So they're just women who produce <laughs> more secretions women who produce and that's more it. Secretions and women and who produce maybe less. Less secretions. And also the woman who produces more secretions, it's very easy for her partner to believe she's horny. Yeah. She just produces more secretions. So she's not feeling as turned on as you think. Right. And she, you want from her something that she can't deliver right now because she's her body's doing what it does. Right. He's responding to sex, yeah, to, to, she, to contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not telling her body, produce more or produce less. Men is not that deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. all right. So that's ED in the young man. I wanted to just add into that. Isn't that sometimes compounded now? The anxiety is compounded by the expectation of the woman. And, you know, a lot of times you will hear if you can't stand up that the problem is what's wrong with me is I find the woman go what's wrong yes, with her. That's the absolutely. beginning. Then I find the next thing is what's wrong with him. Yes. So absolutely. Those two things um, play a part. What I think is useful is sending him to someone like yourself, Mario. Mm-hmm. I believe in having early intervention. I believe in giving them the help they need right. with all of the drugs that we just mentioned, right. the weekend, etc. Some of the urologists and will give them then, a low dose. Yes, yeah, that's what we do. We send yeah. them to the urologist, make sure it's not organic. Or me, yeah. We ask them to <laughs> do a couple of things, or their GP. Mm-hmm. We ask them to do a couple of things at home to make sure they're having their morning erection. Yes, right. that's so a we know healthy it's penis. Functioning, right? That's a right. healthy penis, mm-hmm. and we're happy for that. And then if we're not getting the kind of morning erection that we think ought to be happening and we've done all the basic stuff, the urologist now is going to tell us if there's an organic problem that we need to deal with. Right. And in the meantime, we want some happy sex. Right. And you so call them and encourage yes, them. So we add that little booster. Mm-hmm. And in psychology, we always want to withdraw medication as quickly as possible. Like what that. we call extinguishing. Yes. But sometimes our other... Uh, clinicians will keep you on medication. It is not our interest to keep you on it, especially if organically there's no problem. Your body has no problem. Right. We want to train the penis back to a happy place. And they remove the medication. And we remove the medication little by little as we get you back to that happy place. Because you have to recognize that this can happen again. And we don't want you dependent on medication. Not if you have a perfectly healthy penis. All right, I'm going, to, I'm going to leave the chronic illnesses one out mm. because most times I guess that's the nerves not working as well right, as they can. Right. So you get some dysfunction, the medication might help. The mm-hmm. middle-aged man, mm-hmm. uh, how would you say is the natural decline of desire mm-hmm. for sex in middle age? Or are there some I men who are still, are there some men hitting it still like 21 all the way till 50? Well, no one hits it like 21. <laughs> and I wouldn't want a man hitting it like 21 at 40 or 50. Right. I would think that he has a little bit more finesse. Yeah. 
by 40 or 50. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't be so vague with the heating. It's heating yeah. it in terms of frequency. Frequency, right? I know. So we tend to, when we're young, because the machinery is new and we're testing it out. Mm-hmm. You got your first Ferrari. And you're <laughs> going to drive down the road every single day, <laughs> revving it up, no matter how short the road is, right? Right. But now when you're 40 or 50, you realize that you can get some of the work out of perhaps not a Ferrari. Right. You can make another car run like a Ferrari. Right, right, right. So I, I'm hoping that as we get older, we're learning expertise and skill and the kind of technician type of stuff that will give both us and our partner more joy. Yeah. I find that men are declining, in my experience, later than the textbooks tell us. Mm-hmm. But also men are. All right. Let me give you another example. A lot of my female clients will say to me, oh, he's not romantic. Mm. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't do it. And my first question to them is, are you romantic? Mm. What romantic thing have you done for your partner recently? Why yeah. do you think romance is a receptive thing? So let's go back to the penis now. That late middle-aged man who's coming into his 60s, when he's not experiencing the desire and the urge and the frequency, and he thinks that, oh, you know, he's getting bored with a partner. I often ask him, what sexy thing have you done lately? Right, right, What does right. your underwear look like? Right. How have you, how have have you, you inspired how have this you, moment? Yes. <laughs> how have you got yourself in gear right. for a sexy afternoon? Right. Are you, you sharing Victoria's Secret? Ah, but do you even have any Calvin Klein's? <laughs> your underwear is rubbish. <laughs> and you want this woman to dress up. And to be a temptress. Right. And you're supposed to passively sit back and your penis is supposed to respond. So it goes both ways, right? Yes. And one of the <laughs> things that my instructor would ask us over and over, a little Jewish woman, she'd say to me, are you having sexy thoughts? <laughs> what are your sexy thoughts? <laughs> so that is what I ask them. What are you really thinking about when you approach your partner? I love her accent. Yeah. Because she's, she lived she's in to, New York at she, some point. She's a New Yorker <laughs> who moved to Florida. Exactly. Sexy thoughts. <laughs> thoughts. So, <laughs> thoughts. So, um, I do ask the men, what are you doing for yourself to make yourself sexy? Are you doing your manicures? Are you doing your pedicures? Are you keeping your body lean? Are you eating well? Are you exercising? Right. It's the first thing I ask them. How much exercise do you get in a week? Oh, well, let me tell you here. Oh, well, you I'm know what's saying? I'm not going anywhere, anywhere right? right. Mm-hmm. So I want to know you oxygenating that blood, that you're keeping that circulation going, that you're doing all the things that can make you sexy. Then we can talk about organic things. Always oh, comes back to self again, eh? Yes, because often love, eh? we are bored because we are boring. <laughs> I've never met a bored person who yeah. wasn't boring. <laughs> yes, well, I, well, I, I don't know well, what it is to be bored. I'm really bored. I don't know. Okay, and I'm not. So, we're not being yeah, cocky. No, we're just no, saying. No, no, I'm just saying. If, you, know if you're constantly bored, you yourself are boring. You're waiting on the world to entertain you. Right, right, right. The world is the not world here is, to entertain you. You have to go find it. Yes. So I always encourage the men to to get a new wardrobe. And I will get somebody who's a coach who will take them and do the wardrobe change, dress them up different, make them look fresher, get the hair cut. Right. So you can be like new confidence again. So you can feel sexy. Yeah. Then you're going to approach it differently. Yeah. Then sex may happen. Yes. yes. Uh, I'm going to jump between relationship and sex. Mm -hmm. Um, This one is the person actually asked what's a good Mm -hmm. relationship age gap. But I may ask that differently. But Mm. not to throw myself into the mix, but (laughs) I had this little playful rule that mm-hmm. i had a 10 year age rule i wouldn't yeah. want to date anyone younger than 10 years below yes, me yes and that's actually the standard rule the standard rule is seven to ten years plus or minus plus well 
Depends on what you want. Yes. And it depends on when that seven to ten years takes place. Mm-hmm. Ten years is really the outer limits now. We're going into the twilight zone. But people yes. are doing it. People are doing it. And I would ask that couple, mm-hmm. not just one of them. I'd ask that couple, what kind of relationship do you want? Because hmm. there are different kinds of relationships. Yeah, um, we have platonic relationships. We have companionate relationships. We have uh, romantic relationships. We have um, the the fling. We have the long term relationship. We yeah. have the just intimacy without passion. We have that as well. So I want to find out from you what are you looking for from this relationship? All right. So you say seven to ten, but ten is the outer limit. So seven. Yeah. Is, what is what is the reason for that recommendation? I think the reason for the recommendation is one. There are lots of lots of reasons. One of them is legal. There's All right, a got legal, you. So if yes. it's happening at twenty three, that might not, or twenty, that may not be good. Fine. Okay. So there are some legal ramifications of the separation ages, especially for younger people. Let's say we're legal. <laughs> no, let's say we're legal. <laughs> if you look at when a generation of music, let's say, Mario, yeah. that's your thing, music. Mm, mm-hmm. When a generation of music changes within seven to ten years, the genre has shifted somewhat. It may not be a complete change, but I bet you that the the musicianship has changed, instruments have changed, the feeling changes, the the mood has changed. Mm-hmm. You cannot reference things that your partner knows about because of that age gap. Mm-hmm. So you both are going to have to straddle two different worlds all the time, unless one or both of you is familiar with that other world. But your topical references are not the same. Your your e your I, I don't like that word morality because right. our morality is based on the people we dislike. Right. When I dislike what you're doing, I get moral. Right. But there is a, an ethic and an ethos that you experience at different ages and different stages of human development, again, as a developmentalist, that are going to change. Your values change. But your response also indicates to me that there is an importance mm-hmm. in a relationship dynamic in having that connection between Absolutely. those things. Absolutely. Um, that all right, so I may be a nice way to say it because there are some people who might be in relationships mm-hmm. with huge gaps that mm-hmm. it may be a more difficult um, straddle yes. with the gap than without yes. the gap. Absolutely, and and like I said, no, I've been doing this thing now seventeen years. Right, I've seen, seen thousands it. of Some couples of literally, right. and I run a clinic as well. So with a clinic that we run for the public every other Friday for nine years now, yeah, you've seen see over six hundred uh, visitors. So we see all kinds of people. It depends on the particular two people. Yeah. As a rule, seven to ten years. Yeah. But the, the particular couple may have a 20-year age gap and be perfectly happy with that because of what they're looking for in the relationship. So there are exceptions, there are outliers. There are always and it's, it just exceptions. Depends, right? There are always exceptions to every rule. Yeah. This one me. No, I want, no question is silly. Can you masturbate too much? If you're masturbating and it's taking away from contact with your partner, then I would say that too much there is because it's not leaving any energy behind for either mutual masturbation with your partner right. or intercourse or any other kind of outer course that you might Which want to have. there's another problem going on. Yes, there's a relational problem going on there. Mm-hmm. But as sex therapists, you know, Mario, what we say is that if you look at the sex in a relationship, it is like a thermometer. <laughs> it tells you exactly what's going on in a relationship. Right. So you're right. Yeah. That person who's masturbating too much on their own by themselves is indicating distance. 
yeah. is indicating that they don't want to engage. Right. They'd rather masturbate. They'd rather be alone than to be All with this right. person. So there's a reason. And answering medically that maybe as a man, if you masturbate too much, well, one, your whole um, load is going to be less. And mm-hmm. it, might, it might just be painful. <laughs> it might just come to <laughs> well, a point where... Well, I hope where nobody's masturbating to the point of Where it's pain. sore. I hope yeah. so too. That's, that's a whole yeah. other problem too. That would, be a, that would be like a 16-year-old who just learned <laughs> who how just to masturbate le- and was like, wow. oh my God. <laughs> This episode of Talk Truth has been sponsored by Podcorn. And guess what? Podcorn works. I tried it for the first time last week and I got to place an ad and I got paid. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities such as host read ads like this one, interview segments, topical discussions and more. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates and collaborate collaborate with brands directly without exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast and Podcorn is here to support you every step of the way to ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for brands. The Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when to monetize. So head on over to podcorn.com to get started and check out the link in my show notes and start monetizing your podcast now open relationships mm. and entering this one is tricky because we may have to define it oh, we have to set to. it um, because I think different people have different ideas yes. about open relationships. Yes. So how would you define an open relationship? So open relationship is a term that used to be used to describe any relationship in which the man and the woman, this was heterosexual relationships, right. in which a man and a woman agreed that each of them could see and or have sex with another person or other persons while remaining in that same in relationship. that relationship mm-hmm. so that was just a big term so it's a sexual arrangement primarily yes mm-hmm. no under the term open relationship there are various types mm-hmm. of open relationships and the one that people know i will talk about a lot is polyamory mm-hmm. because i think it's one of those that gives you the most um freedom to choose as well as respect for your partner now, there's swinging, right. which means that both partners agree to have multiple sex partners at various points, and they could go to swinging parties together, right. or they could choose to swing independently. Most swingers swing together. So, yeah, so it's going to be an activity. Yeah, yeah they Absolutely. could just go to swingers yeah. club every, every once a month or every week or whatever. Then with your polyamory couple now, you have what we call a primary partner and mm-hmm. a secondary partner and mm-hmm. tertiaries, or you might have pods or more numbers. Primary partner is a person you want to stay with long term. Yeah. And they agree that either or both of you may engage sexually with other persons. But here's a but. It operates like the U.S. judiciary, at least when it's working well. Right. Um, not in this dispensation. <laughs> not this current one. <laughs> but the primary partners have veto power. So if you see someone that you're attracted to sexually. Yeah. Polyamorous people have a notion that. There's no shortage of people you'll be attracted to. It's not going to run out. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to chase that person down and have sex with them immediately. But there'll be another. Or, and also that person will still be there for your attraction if you take the time to go speak to your partner first. Right, right. No rush. So right. they're not rushing so a to sequence get into it. Is. Yes, yeah. yes. They have some rules. So you will let your partner know. Between the two of you will decide how much information each of you needs to know. Do you need to meet the person? Do you not need to meet them? Blah, blah, blah. And usually you don't fluid bond with any partner outside of your primary. I like it, yeah. 
So you wear a condom whenever you're having sex with anyone other Outside. than your primary partner. Right. Let's say your primary partner says, based on what you tell me about Mario, mm, I'm not sure he's ready for our relationship. Right. Because remember, we've agreed that we will only have sex with people who are also polyamorous. Right. And who understand that this is not you cheating on me. So if I'm going to make it complicated and yeah, I, can't, I can't be in a mix. he's going to want to come in and he's going to want you to cheat. He's yeah. going to want you to lie to me. Then I might want to come every Friday. Yes. And, then and you know, Fridays <laughs> are off because that's our bowling night. So. <laughs> right. So yes, all of those demands, he's going to want a full relationship mm -hmm. because that's what he's used to. He's yeah. not polyamorous. He doesn't understand the rules. He doesn't understand you're not cheating on me. He doesn't understand why I have to know. So that partner may say, mm -mm, I don't think he's the best person for us. Yeah. In an ideal world, because we know we can love many other people, we can let go of that attraction. Got you. Because it's not to the benefit of the relationship. It sounds so mature, actually. It but is it, extremely it, but mature. It is a very clear but structure. But it takes a lot of hard work. To get there. So the main thing is that the partners can say no to another partner, but we're dealing with people who are dealing with honesty. They're not saying no because they're jealous of the other partner. They're saying no because they don't believe that person is ideal for their relationship. Because when we're choosing a partner, we're choosing for both of us. Do, do you believe mm -hmm. that there is potentially more safety in a polyamorous mm -hmm. arrangement than what people do out the road every day where them, where them just go cheat Absolutely. and they cheat unprotected, they yeah. have unprotected cheating? This is actually a more transparent it, it existence. Is, and, and I would say that we have many polyamorous relationships in Jamaica, mm -hmm. particularly as we look at baby mother, baby father relationships right. where women are aware of who the other women are. The challenge is that because we are encouraged to lie, and we really are encouraged to lie, you know, yeah. we will also in those polyamorous relationships not use a condom. And I'm a big advocate of condom use, so even within committed relationships. Yeah. Because there's so many marvelous condoms to be used and to be tried, and they're so fantastic. So that, that concerns me, yeah. that we're not protecting each other and protecting ourselves. But yes, polyamorous relationships on the can whole potentially be safer. tend to be very health conscious, Right. tend to want to know right. before I jump into bed with you, I'm very attracted to you. But have you had an AIDS test? Yeah. Open, and when was it? Yes, yes, yes. It's based on complete openness. Which goes against a lot yeah. of what people do in their life. So, you know, in your regular relationship that's supposed to be monogamous, people pride themselves on jealousy. Mm-hmm. Oh, if he's not jealous of me, he doesn't really love me. Oh, she's so jealous of me. That means she, she really, really loves, loves me. me right? Polyamory rejects that. And the word they use is compersion. Compersion. So that word means I take joy in your joy. Yeah. Instead of compassion, compersion. So when my partner goes out with someone else and enjoys it and is able to come home to me happy, and show me respect, love, and honesty. And I don't need the details of what they did because sex is sex is sex. We know what sex is. Right. But they're able to say, yes, I had a great date tonight with Julie. That experience of the joy, sharing in that joy with your partner, is, where the is joy called is. compersion. Compersion. Interesting. I noticed you yeah. stated definition was for heterosexuals. What Are the rules different for same-sex relationships? No. As polyamory is the same no matter which... Uh, sexual orientation and you have people who are also bisexual non-binary gender fluid 
and have a fluid sexual orientation and are in pods. Right. So once it's more than two, three, we call it a pod. So a four pod. people together is a, is a pod. Yeah. Yes. And you have pods of all kinds of sizes. Quad pod. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you went there, that actually is on the list. Um, sexual fluidity. What's your take on it? Um, Oprah was one of the first persons I heard mention it in my life. Mm. Um, I feel, based on my experience, I was a Jamaican, are very black and white about sexuality. You're either heterosexual or not. Um, in my experience, but in your experience, I'm sure you see a lot more. Do you believe there is a spectrum and that people fall in different places on the spectrum? Yeah, well, I have a 2011 article, academic article mm-hmm. that was written with Matthew McKenzie, my then um, research assistant and a, a very brilliant young man. Yeah. Um, and it's called Love on a Continuum. Mm. But that article is about love on a continuum for people who were same-sex attracted. So it didn't even include heterosexuals. Right. What was the continuum? Yeah. So what we were looking at, um, I had started the work earlier with women who have sex with women. Mm -hmm. I interviewed them and asked them to tell me what their labels were. Ah. And I discovered that there were seven labels I was working with from lesbian to um, heterosexual. And along that were seven different labels, lipstick, lesbian, uh, femme, butch, soft femme, etc. Right. Uh, Trapped lesbian, etc. Everybody comes with their own presentation. And they gave me the labels. I didn't put a label on anybody. And each one gave me another person to speak to who was in the same category. So when I'd finished, I ended up with a continuum of sexual orientation within same sex attracted uh, women. Uh, Matthew McKenzie came along as my assistant and said, I want to do the same thing with men. Mm -hmm. And he went ahead and did it. So between both of us, we came up with categories, seven categories each Mm -hmm. of how within the community, people label each other and themselves. So this is their voices. This has nothing to do with what we thought about their orientation. But to answer the first question, what do I think about sexual orientation? I think we're um, I think we're omnisexual. No, you know, if we're omnivorous, we eat meat and we eat vegetables. Right, right, right. right. So I think we're born omnisexual <laughs> because sexual orientation has nothing to do with reproductive capacity. Not at all, right. So we can reproduce as long as we have a sperm and an ovum. We can reproduce. Reproduction doesn't mean who I'm attracted to. So the attraction part, I think, is a bit of nature and a bit of nurture mm-hmm. in that human beings are sexual beings to begin with. And when we look at our first sexual awakening, I don't look at first sexual experience. I look at first sexual awakening. awakening. Which could happen in the mind. It's always, it's always in the mind. In the mind. <laughs> and that could mind. happen at any age. Right, right, right. When did you first discover that you could there was be a awakened thing called sex? at eight, nine, yes. ten? Yeah. I know lots of Jamaicans we, yeah, we who tend at seven, to be eight, young, nine yeah. have been voyeuristic. Yeah. Watching somebody have sex. And that's when they realized what sex was. Accidental or not. Yes. So yeah. there's a lot of that in our society. So that awakening is what I'm interested in. Because once, as, as Dr. McGill says, sex is a sticky thing. It sticks to anything. Once we have that classical conditioning of you becoming aroused by watching someone else have sex. And you don't even know that you're being aroused. We now have a classical conditioning case. And if you keep repeating that incident, if you keep going and peeping through that keyhole, etc., you are going to become cemented in that arousal. That's going to become a schema for you. Right. And you're going to return to that schema for arousal. So once I know what awakened you, 
I know what your schemata is for sexual arousal. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Boy, you say, <laughs> and I'm going to keep you early because you know that you're so interesting to me. I could talk to you all day. And this is probably happens to you all the time. How do you get mm. people to not talk to you when you, cause they want to talk I to just you? All the time? You're like boundaries, right? That's a whole yeah. nother podcast. That's me. That's boundaries. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. me. I'm all boundaries. That's my word. Yeah. Uh, I had a few questions that fell, mm-hmm. in, fell into this realm and what this realm is really... I just created a category of introducing things into relationships. So here are some other situations. Um, a straight man discovers that he has a pleasure zone in the anal area. The anus is a pleasure right. zone. How does he enter that conversation with his female partner? And he's heterosexual. Okay, so he wants to continue to be stimulated in that way. He would like to, yeah. All right, so first he has to get over his phobia, his fear, that any kind of anal stimulation on his part pleasure etc may mean that he's gay i love that because the the question almost implies that the woman would have the problem but it's actually no he will first have a problem right that's my experience Mm -hmm. and once we can talk about pleasure zones on the body and i can show him the anna you you will know it mario like that the nerves that man yes with all of the nerve centers and Engorge according to where we experience pleasure. Right. And I can show him anatomically. That there Because I here. love anatomical drawings. Isn't it? Right. Yes. That is factual. That this the, is what the biology of human the beings nipples, is. The nipples, right. the clitoris, the penis, right? And if we can look at biologically the tissue in the area. Right. Where the pleasure zone begins and ends. So you understand it's the sphincter muscles and it doesn't go beyond that. that that's just a cavern after that. Then you begin to understand that rimming, which is what it's called, right. pleasure around the anus, whether it's using your tongue or other, that's called rimming. Right. Right. Then you begin to understand that anal pleasure doesn't mean anal penetration. And it also removes the cultural aspect. They have anatomy, right. facts. Just biology. Pure this biology. is the biology. Mm-hmm. And both men and women experience the same thing. Then if he's having challenges with introducing it to his female partner, I would suggest they come in together. And we do some body mapping. Then that would be a great thing to come to a therapist for. Absolutely. Because you have that third outside external person to kind of balance it out. Absolutely. To make the woman also feel like he's not gay too. Yes. And she's going to be concerned. How long have you known this? Right. Uh, Why why do you want to do it now? What is this new thing? Where did you experience it recently? Because that's what she's thinking. And he probably always wanted to try it. Okay. So I would want to speak to her by herself as well. For a little bit at a time. Yes. To find out what her views feelings and there's a hygiene issue yes yes with yes, the anus. Yes, absolutely so that's going to come up as well and then we're going to talk together about well let's deal with the practical issues first. right if we're going to try to make this work this is what let's deal happen. with the practical <laughs> stuff hygiene is number one yeah. that's my number one thing how are we going to be hygienic about this number two what is the boundary yeah, as you say yeah, mario yeah, yeah. where are we going to stop when is enough enough and then he's gonna have to declare what he may think he likes and they may and require she's exploration what she's she comfortable doing she's comfortable yeah. with and i'm going to introduce either dental dams or i'm going to introduce a kind of condom that's thin enough that can go in the mouth or something to protect the mouth if that's what we're using or we're going to use some finger dams or gloves or any other type of thing that will bring arousal without the hygiene problem oh boy don't we admire couples that can actually have these conversations without coming to you even though i'm sure you would love to help them but i mean i think i just thought the thought in my head while i smiled was 
it's great if you meet someone who you who don't you have a dilly dally run how are these we going to do like, these things yes. and it's not how it's not yes. an issue but yes. society doesn't have it that way life doesn't have it that way it just doesn't work that way and we're going to use a lot of lubricant as well not because we're going to penetrate right but because lubricant will assist with the sensation yeah and increase the pleasure and that female may well be wondering oh my god if i do this is he going to want to go further yep yep so yeah. that's a real issue that i have to talk about all right i feel like these other things um have the same principle role playing sex toys fetishes i feel like it's still like introducing something new into a relationship even though i know those are it also is. very specific and i, things, and I right? would i would say where it comes to sex toys because i don't use the word toy i use sex aids, aids. because toys ah. are for children <laughs> um and when they're designed as you and i know they come out of gynecology and neurology and right. re- regular medical practices and then they enter the sex toy world as a gadget yeah um most people think of a vibrator and a dildo when they think of that. Right. Those are the only two First things two. that exist. <laughs> I don't recommend dildos for a young couple who's having problems with intercourse. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to introduce it, I want them to introduce it after we've had a chance to become familiar with the joys of the penis. Yeah, because you don't want to replace I'm not tra- the penis. Ah, yeah. I'm not trying to find a replacement. Or a substitute. And I'm going to ask that when they select that dildo, that they do it together. Yeah. Not the woman go and get a dildo that looks nothing like her partner. Yo, my or ego would probably tell her to get a little oh, one. Okay. <laughs> get a little, little one, car. Well, actually, <laughs> I find that the male, male clans, they are very generous in allowing the woman what will pleasure her yeah. if they have a say in it. Right, right. They get to help yeah, to decide, right? They get to help <laughs> to decide and they get to learn to operate it and they get to learn all the tricks of the trade. Of using a, a dildo because a dildo is not just something you insert. Depending on the dildo that you get, right, we can get lots of different right? pleasure. <laughs> some vibrate, some don't. And you can also make some vibrate, and right. some can stick, stick on the wall. There are all kinds it's of ways. Some are much, some much. Some of them have this fantastic um, flesh-like substance that we use now, not a rubbery, gummy one that was also nice. So it feels it, really real. Let me tell you, it's exquisite. <laughs> exquisite. So, yes. <laughs> the the counter to this question is, are there any times when these things present and they do tie into real issues or pathology that do lead to this relationship? Yeah. Really separating. Like, what if this man is gay? What if True. there is some other underlying thing that is actually being unearthed right now that needs to... To, um, and, and, y- and you have to help them navigate that. So how, Boy, how about you that know, side? You know, Mario, the thing is that life is always full of surprises. Ooh. And as much as we'd like to think that our partners are here to stay, mm. the truth is they're here for the day. We don't know when or how a relationship will change or end. Yeah. And yes, it could well be that this person has suppressed some same-sex attraction. I found many clients who are same sex attracted but not willing to act out sexually Uh, uh. they're repulsed by the notion of acting out sexually it suddenly makes them gay if they act out sexually but it goes beyond curiosity because of course we have gay curious but I have clients who go beyond curious to experiencing a thrill and a pleasure and a rush in the presence so it's a kind of infatuation but if you mention anything sexual they are going to shut down. 
Yeah. So there are degrees, as you know, of each of these things. Yeah. And 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 there's no way of knowing. I can't tell you. Yeah. You know, the person has to say that to me for me to know. Mm-hmm. Let's tackle dating. How do you feel about one dating in Jamaica? I brought this up in my last podcast. I had a young lady speak about being single. Mm-hmm. She was single for ten years. Spent a bunch of years recovering from the breakup. So mm-hmm. I told her, I subtract those years because those years mm-hmm. are rebuilding years to me. Yes. Um. Anyway, she's opening up again. But we spoke about dating in a small island, dating mm-hmm. in a place where you don't even have to really meet somebody to date them because I can ask a friend because yeah. the friend knows the friend. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Well, yes, it's a small island and we have little cliques. Yeah. Ha- we have little social groups that grew up together or went to Woolmans together or right. went to prep or school together or mm. basic school. Mm-hmm. Or first of all, that's the one that I asked him to dismiss. Yeah. Do not tell me that you went to basic school together. I'm not interested. Do not tell me how many years you've known this person. You do not know them. You know a platonic friend. Right. The minute you enter into a romantic relationship, sex changes everything. everything. Yeah, it's a different person. Totally different relationship. I don't care how long you think you know them. So stop giving me the stats of the length of time that you've known this person and tell me about the quality of the knowledge that you have about them. What are their core values? How do they align with yours? What is their sexual appetite? I'm very interested in knowing that. And along with the sexual appetite, and there are three things I look for, but that's a whole clinical diagnosis. Right. But along with that, I'm very interested in, first and foremost, do you have intellectual compatibility? If your brains don't talk to each other, to the left. I love it. If you're not talking to each other's brains, forget it. And it has to start there, right? It has to start there. So on the date, that's what I think we're missing. We're so busy with our impression management. Right. Trying to create the right impression. Women particularly. Yeah. Women don't listen. A man tells you everything you need to know about him in the first two weeks of knowing him. But you're not listening. You're not listening. Yeah. And guess why he tells you? Because he's interviewing I'm the best man for you. Look at me. I can do this. I can do somersaults. I can drive my car around the block. I can get a nicer car. And he's wearing his heart on his sleeve. Yeah. And he's telling you everything you need to know. And what women do is that we shut them down. What do you mean your girlfriend, Julie? Who's Julie? He goes, oh, damn. Edit. No more talk of Julie. And he edits and edits and edits. As he interviews to try and get a job. Right, get the job. And then she's trying to, most times, create a fairy tale. She's trying to create a fairy tale. (laughs) She's trying to create an impression. So I say, men tell you exactly who they are in the first two weeks. And women tell you nothing about themselves in the first two weeks. Until you see her without the makeup. Until you take a long drive with her where both of you don't have to talk. Right. Until you do the things that normal relationships are about. You don't know this person. So my advice to people who are dating is if you're looking for somebody who is not you, yeah. forget it. Uh, how, if and if you person. don't want somebody who is you, then you're not good enough. Mm. We all want somebody to complete us. Nobody completes you. If when you take stock of yourself, you wouldn't date you, then you're not. Why would date, anybody else? Right. Then you're not loving yourself. You know? No. And you're not lovable. You're not lovable. Huh? You're not lovable. Yeah. And we need to face that. So don't tell me when I ask young women, well, why would a young man want you to say, because I'm me. Get Wait, off that. Yeah, what do you mean? Get off that. <laughs> Every single woman has a vagina. Right, so what makes if you If she is biologically normal, she has a vagina. Yeah. You ain't got nothing that no other woman has. 
and every single man has a penis. So these are not the special attributes. The attributes are character, personality, mental acuity. Yeah. Yeah. Kindness, generosity. Attraction is just an added part of that. Attraction is there to make us copulate. Yeah. The purpose of attraction is so that we'll have sex and get pregnant. But since we've reached a different stage in our homo sapien sapien, we have to use our sapien. We have to use our sapien, right? And realize that, yo, this (laughs) thing has to be a friendship, right? It has. Well, it has to be a friendship born out of a healthy sexual attraction that starts in the brain. You have a sexy brain. I like your brain. Right. And if you like my brain, let's get our brains to have sex together. Right. And the bodies will follow. <laughs> the bodies follow the brain. Do you believe there's any link to astrology in any of this? I kind of like horoscopes. I don't mm. swear by them. But like, you know, air signs are common. So Libra likes, Gemini likes, yeah. Aquarius. You think, are these people just... Well, I tell you what. I do think that the horoscopes are interesting. They're interesting. And it was a time when I was much younger where maybe I would look at the horoscopes to try and understand them. In temperate climates, and by that I mean countries where the seasons change, there would be some real truth to the kind of temperament a person might have if they're born in the winter. Yeah. Think of it. It's minus 20 in Toronto today. Yeah. If you're born in in minus 20, you're going to stay inside (laughs) all the time during the winter. Yeah. So when you're born in the spring and everybody is joyful and the melting of the snow starts... That's a different baby because people around them are different. And if you're born in the harvest season, that's different. And if you're born when people are planting the crops, that's that's different. different. And these relate to the zodiac signs. The 12 houses, the 12 months, they relate to seasons. And we have four such seasons. So I think they're kind of general characteristics that people might have because of what's happening in their environment at the various times. Folks, I'm promising Karen too. And the two are two broad topics. So I'm going to go for the first one, which is in a new relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read the whole thing to share or not to share. These are also different, though, but you can hear me out. Information about exes, information about treated STIs, information about a chronic illness. Okay. So the first question I ask yeah, ex- is mm-hmm. fling or long term thing? Okay. So what is fling? this relationship? Ah. And that determines what you share. Exactly. Long-term thing. If I'm in a long-term relationship, information is going to come out gradually. But because of where I am situated, information about sexual health is primary for me. Right. Yes. Especially if it will affect the other person. Not only that, if the person were to find out later, it's going to affect them. Even if it was treated? Even if it was treated. All right. Why? If you find out from your gynecologist that you're having challenges with fertility because you've had multiple STIs or you had a termination or you had a DNC, you had a miscarriage. And this is happening after you're married. After you're why cemented this, in the relationship. Why this come up it is going to destroy the relationship. Yeah. All right. I see. There's no such thing as secrets. It yeah. comes out at some time. Mm-hmm. So while it may not be germane to what's happening now, it may be very germane if you're going towards a wedding part, you need to sit down and have some conversations about, you know, right. babes, we're planning to get married. And I think it's time for us to look at our sexual history. Do you want to come to the gynecologist with me? Because maybe I'm not brave enough to say it myself. Right. And if your gynecologist is any of my friends, 
they will explain. They will it. help. Right, right, right. To right. explain right. what your sexual history is. Maybe you don't feel brave enough. And again, to talk about that. Also, add some more medical things Absolutely. to it. Absolutely, they're going to give you a clinical, medical, clean bill of health. Yeah. And they're going to explain to your partner why X is so and Z is so, and why it's relevant done. or not relevant. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's all right. So in the absence, or let's say sexual history is fine. Is it re- necessary to share information about X's? I think information about X's, if it relates to well, I dated so and so, and I dated such and such a person. It's going to come out anyway in, in growing intimacy. Right. I think information about your sex life with exes, unless you're both very liberated people, it's it's a, it's, it's a betrayal. Yeah. One, you're betraying the person that you were with. And two, if it doesn't have any relevance right. this is a- to additional your current relationship, then that's something to brood on. Yeah, not helpful. And I'd be cautious about that. But I think it's important that your partner know who you've been with. Because should they run into that person somewhere, they need to feel comfortable. Right. They don't want any surprises, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I agree. I'll, I'll mm. leave the chronic illnesses one up because I believe that that's something that should come up yes. and will come up. I yes. mean, if I'm diabetic, hypertensive, you should know for multiple reasons. Well, I don't like, if I really need to get into that. Can I tell you that I've met people who haven't even disclosed that they're virgins? I've met men. That's tricky. Who get into a marriage and don't disclose that they're virgins. That's tricky. That's more than tricky. <laughs> I don't know That's about a that. lifetime betrayal. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. So when the ineptitude takes place is when the partner starts saying, but if you if you have experience, you told me you had dated yeah, two well, other girls. Why, why are you why? doing this? <laughs> yeah. And then it comes out when you're stuck in a marriage. That's not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the last one I wanted to throw at you, you know, Gary Chapman spoke about love languages. Oh, yes. Five love languages. Do yes. you believe in the whole love language thing? And I believe some people break it down into how you show love and how you receive love. Um, like I like words of affirmation. I mm-hmm. find that mm-hmm. if I have a birthday party, I want my friends to give speeches because I oh, like wow. to hear. <laughs> I want to hear them tell you me how hear awesome what I am. Say. Yeah, I do yeah, because yeah. you know you don't hear it every day, and and for some reason okay. it gives me more motivation. But yet I don't care about a gift, so okay. gifts falls low for me. Okay, and and touch strangely is sometimes low in a yeah. general kind of let me Way, just yeah. touch you. Yeah, I don't I don't care for it. Yeah, so I know this. Do you think it's important? Um, do I think it's important? I think that we spend so little time trying to know our partners that it's important for that reason. It's one more thing to know about your partner. Yeah. We have this nasty habit of saying, oh, I know Mario. I know Karen. I hate when couples do that. Yeah. If you say that to me, then I know you're not paying attention. You do not know your partner. You know some aspects of them. And somebody else knows other aspects of them. So I think it's important to pay attention. Yeah. And for that reason, I'd say, look at what your partner is doing for you. That's their love language. Yeah. All of us do for the other person what we like best. Yes, absolutely. You do what you like. But the other person may not like it at all. Exactly. So look at what your partner is doing for you all the time. And that's community. Boy, you know, babe, I took the car and I detailed it. Boy, you know, I put on some rims and you're like, rims? Why? Why don't you just buy me a diamond? But but they like a clean car, you like a diamond. They do acts of service. Acts of service, right. That's an acts of service And you like a gift, right. And you keep bringing home little gifts for them. Oh, I saw this and I thought of you, I brought your shirt. And they don't care. And they don't reciprocate. And you're like, this man doesn't love me. Yeah. 
So yes, I think it's important from that Pay point attention. of view. Pay attention. Which leads me to the wrapping up, which is mm. let's just give people some tips on relationships mm. and sex. General, general little tidbits that they can do to stay healthy in relationships and sexually. Well, the first one when it comes to relationships is to reiterate, to say again what I said before. Opposites do not attract. Mm. I'm going to say it again. Opposites do not attract. Human beings are not magnets. We are attracted to people who are most like us. Because if we like ourselves, we like people who are like us. Mm -hmm. So if you have a healthy self-esteem, you're attracted to someone who is like you. Now, you don't need a clone. But if you're attracted to someone because they're the opposite of who you are, that is called a novelty effect. Mm-hmm. It's a newness. <laughs> not it's not, what you found really cute in the first two weeks is going to become super annoying. Two, yeah. Which year? Give it three months and you're so annoyed with a person yeah. for doing what they do because it's so far from what you would do. I'm holding so, on to that tip. Yeah, title. opposites do not attract. So be your best you. To attract your best partner. Yeah. Stop saying what you want in another person. And take that list and become the list you want. That's my best advice to people. And the rest will follow again. When you make a list of all the things you want in a partner, become that. Yeah. If you want a financially solid partner, become financially solid. Once you are your own best partner, you are going to attract marvelous people into your life. I believe that. But you can't attract the marvelous people with the rubbish that you are. <laughs> so be your best self. All of us have faults. Right. All of us are flawed. Yeah. yeah. So that's my best advice to folks. Be your best self so that you can attract your best partner. And opposites do not attract. Wonderful. Dr. Karen Carpenter, where can people find you? And, um, well, you know what I mean. Yes, yes, yes. No, I'm, I was thinking I'm so easy to find. You're right. <laughs> and well, probably one of the best places to find me is on Facebook. Yeah. Dr. Karen Carpenter or Love and Sex. And certainly. And you're Karen with a K. Karen with a K. Very C important. for Carpenter. Very simple. Uh-huh. And my email address is Karen Carpenter at Gmail. I am super transparent. You may get tons of emails after this. That's Karen, fine. Because my That's listeners fine. don't <laughs> play enough. <laughs> KarenCarpenter.gmail.com. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. So Facebook and Love and Sex is the show. Is Love and Sex is the show. We're airing on Facebook at the moment right. because I'm taking a break from the very long radio programs. But every Tuesday at nine o'clock, we have a video that goes up with our topic of the week. So you will be seeing the vi- videos anyway. Yeah. Of the topic of the week and here's some interesting discussions. A little bit shorter format because we're changing to a new format. Yeah. So this is our transition to that format. But we're going to keep giving you the good stuff. Folks, you heard it here. So you know <laughs> why you need to follow her. She's just amazing. Any new, any other things on the horizon for you? When you see Karen Carpenter in the next five to ten years. Oh my goodness. Is, is no, there no, going to no. <laughs> be a book? Is there already a book? Oh yes. There's a love and sex book which is on Amazon.com. We need to revise that book, update it now and give you an audio to that book which a lot of people are asking for. And you should read it please. Yes. And I'm, I'm trying to think of the title for the next one because I think we really need exactly what you asked for Mario. Which yeah. is some straight up honest Dating and relationship advice. advice right? Just straight up. I, I mean, you know, I, left to me to be called No Chaser. 
No Chesa. And this <laughs> might be no the... Chesa. I'm going to suggest to her that this would be the name of her podcast. <laughs> Dr. Karen Carpenter, thank you so much for, for being on Talk Truth. And of course, you hear her. She talks the truth. She keeps it straight. She's a straight shooter, which is why I love her. So, guys, thanks for listening and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me as your guest. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. And trust me, the pleasure was all mine. You just listened to episode number 27 of Talk Truth. And it was so much fun talking to Dr. Karen Carpenter. She is just, I don't even know. I just really like it. I probably just like to have very open and candid conversations about sex, which makes these topics even more exciting. And please like, share, comment, uh, screenshot, repost, do everything you need to do to make people know that they need to listen. We appreciate the support. And because English matters, guys, and no one hear me when we say unearthed, and we know no word go so. So please, because English matters, kids, please don't say unearthed ever again. Don't come at me. I love in the same way, and I did want to correct it because English matters, all right? It does. Um, as you can tell, the past two episodes have had commercials, which are actually paid, and I really am happy to make that step thanks to Podcorn. I'm not giving him an extra ad. But for those of you who are going into podcasting, it's definitely a space you can go into. And we will continue to traverse more unconventional spaces as I approach um, Jamaican advertisers to do more advertising within podcasts. So if anybody out there is a part of a company and you guys want to push a piece of your advertising budget over to the podcast over to my podcast we can talk i can tell you some other numbers on the back end show me the money i'll show you the ads of course if the match is right all right so give me a holla talk truth ja at gmail.com i would be glad to entertain that conversation all right i'm going to read a review for you before we wrap up and it comes from k apple 876 and her title is using your lovely voice in yet another perfect way it's a five-star review right here on apple Podcasts, and she says thanks so much for sharing your insights mario i've always thought of you as warm and genuine with such great energy really appreciate really appreciate the topics here keep them coming five stars Yo, thanks, Key Apple 876. Totally appreciate the love you have shared and blessings. And I'm sure you guys know what you were just doing. You were just listening to Talk Truth with your boy Mario Evan. And you know, it's a place where your truth shall become your power and set you free. Until next Sunday. Bye.